the band for what they do. Um, I enjoy it, my goodness. Every time we come in here, Will and the band lead us in worship. And they don't just lead us in worship, they lead us to the throne room of God. And to me, that that's huge. Uh, for me, it gets me in a good place. It sets me in a place where I just feel at peace. You know, like I'm good with this. This is a good place. And uh, and he's true. You know, there's so many things you go through in life where God doesn't leave you. And he, he, he's always there. We may not always feel it. You may not always think it. But the truth of the matter is he's always there. So I'm really thankful for them and what they do and his heart for worship. So uh, from there, we're, we're going to get started like, like they told you. My name is Joseph Baker. I'm the student pastor here. Uh, and you get me because Alan is uh, with our children's preschool ministry. Bless his heart, right? Um, I love most kids. I particularly love my kid the most because I'm partial to him. Um, but... He, I understand this, he, he's 150% from the moment he wakes up until the moment he goes to sleep. And he goes and goes and goes. And I know how that is. Like, at the end of it, I'm going, if you don't go to sleep, you're going to go to sleep. Like, there's something, you know, you, you get to that point. So, I've also worked in the children's and preschool department. Um, I hope that y'all do at some point because I think it's just good for you. But I couldn't imagine having 50 little Judas running around uh, where they're just nonstop, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. At the end of it, you're sitting in the corner rocking back and forth because you just don't know how to do it. That, that's kind of what I feel like. And, and Alan, you know, we, we make it seem like Alan got the raw into this deal, but he didn't. I did. Um, <laughs> so Alan escaped this sermon to go to the children's ministry. That, that ought to let you know something. He... When it was all said and done, he, he looked at it, and uh, it, this, we're on the last tough sayings of Jesus right here. And this week's is on two words. Y'all ready for this? Wait for it. There it is. Okay. Follow me. Okay, great. So Alan said, I'm going to preschool. Uh, preach on follow me. Great. That's, a, that's an easy one, right? That's, that's simple. Um, we, can, we can make that happen. Uh, what I found through this is two words are really deep, but two words are very basic. And it, it, it makes it very difficult because it's very self-explanatory, right? Jesus says, follow me, and that should be simple. But to teach that is very difficult. Um, so he called me yesterday, and he said, hey, man, so... Uh, How's it going? Are you ready for tomorrow? And I said, eh, eh, I'm getting there. I said, uh, I've, got, I've got a rough idea. You know, we've worked through it. I've been reading, praying. I'm getting there. Um, still bouncing some, some of my thoughts off my wife because she, see, if, if y'all are married, you know, I can tell my wife something and she can reverberate that to me to tell me what I meant to say. Right? So I would tell her like, well, this, is, this is what I'm trying to get. This is what a, what a, what I'm, what I want, and what I'm saying, and she's like, "Well, this is how you you should say that." I'm like, "Okay, thanks." So we're we're talking through some of that, and we're going. And Alan says, "Well, are you there?" And I said, "Well, we're still talking about it." And she's she's helping make sure that I'm I'm communicating things the way that I want to. And he, he said, "All right, well, I'm coming to your house. I need to get something." So he came over, and we went through some of that. And when we were leaving, he was like, "All right, ma'am, well, I'm I'm going to be in preschool." And I said, "Well, good luck with that." And he said. <laughs> 
good luck with preaching tomorrow. And I was like, well, thanks. So uh, we, we kind of swapped some, some I don't cares about that. But uh, I'm excited. I, I'm tickled to be able to do this. It is, it is a harder one for me. So y'all just hang in there with me, and I pray that you get something out of it. So when we would jump into this, I'm going to pray before we do, and we'll get started. So y'all pray with me. God, we just come before you today. God, in this moment, I pray that you begin to do what you can do. That you begin to, to work through each and every individual in this place, God. That whatever is said, whatever is done, it is done in a manner that, that's pleasing to you, God. That the words that are said are not my words, God, but they're your words. That, that what you want conveyed comes out the way that you want it conveyed. And if something is said, God, where it needs to be changed before it hits their hearts, God, before it hits their ears, I just pray that you change it from my mouth to them, God. That, that they hear what you want them to hear, God, but not what I necessarily say. That it is all about you. And if today, God, this morning, and is the last time that you ever use me, God, to present your gospel, to present your message. I pray that it's done in a way that gives you glory, God. I pray that it's done in a manner that's pleasing to you. I pray that you begin to soften every heart, God, open every ear so that we can fully grasp and understand the words that you have for us this morning. And we're just thankful for you and for your son Jesus and what he did for us. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. So we're going to talk about follow me. This is the last, last tough saying of Jesus in this series. And uh, if we actually ended up preaching follow me at the very beginning, I think it would have worked better. Because what I've learned through this is as I was studying through what it was, you know, and follow me, I saw that everything we went through over the past four weeks, all the Sunday morning sermons, all the uh, Wednesday night Bible study stuff and home group, it all kind of pointed to what you did after you followed Jesus. You see, like, you make the choice to follow him, and then because you're choosing to follow him, this is the way you have to do things. This is the way you should forgive when you follow Jesus. This is the way you should, um, this is the way you should think. You should, you should really check your heart because God looks at your heart, not your, not your flesh, not the outside. And, and you can't come up with excuses for doing things for God. And, and the rich young ruler, it's like, hey, man, well, you have to, you have to give up stuff. So, if we preached it at the beginning where it was follow me and this is how you do it, I see it. But see, now here at the end, we're, we're backtracking. We're wrapping it all up in a pretty little bow. So I hope that y'all follow this well. But I'm going to go ahead and jump into this with point number one. Point number one is follow me with a decision. Follow me with a decision. Let's jump into this. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets and at once followed him. Verse 19, A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. As I read that, I read it differently than I've ever read it before. I've read that a hundred times. It's like, oh, yeah, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. They left everything, and they followed Jesus. Got it. Uh, he called out to them, and they left their stuff, and they followed Jesus. Can be fishers of men. We, we've heard it. But I actually looked at it differently this time in studying for what it meant to follow me. And what I saw was Jesus said, follow me. He didn't initially say, be a follower. 
He didn't say, get your life right and then come on. He literally looked at him, and you'll see it right here. If we throw it back up there, it's in verse 17, if we put it back up there for you to see it. In verse 17, he says, Jesus called out to them, come, comma, follow me. Meaning, just make a decision. Just come, just come follow me for a little while. Just come hang out with me for a little bit. Walk where I walk. See what I do. Talk to who I talk to. Just, just follow me around for a little while. Y'all ever done a job shadow, right? Just kind of still trying to figure out what I'm going to do with this. Like, do I want to be a dentist? Do I want to be a doctor? <laughs> what, what do I want to do with my life? Well, come do a job shadow. All that is say, hey, come follow me around, right? You want to learn how to be a waiter or a waitress? What's the first thing you do? You just follow one around. That's what they do in their training. You follow me and we'll show you what to do, right? So Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, hey guys, Simon, Andrew, just quit what you're doing for a little while and come follow me. That opened it up to a whole new world for me. Because I didn't look at it then like, man, Simon and Andrew had it all put together and they were just like, oh, I can drop everything and now I'm a follower of Jesus. I got, I got my life together. I've got my act going because that's how it kind of reads. But then whenever you really think about it, really all Jesus did was say, hey, just come follow me for a little bit. And then he, then he reaches out to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and he says the same thing. He's like, hey, just come follow me. And it says they followed him. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know where they were going. Jesus didn't say, in a year you'll be doing this, in two years you'll be doing that. He didn't promise them what they'd be doing next week. He literally just said, come follow me. Just come hang out. And they had a decision to make. Do I follow this joker or do I not? Do I drop what I'm doing and go check it out or do I keep doing what I'm doing? I would say most of y'all, if you've ever been saved or if you've come to this place or you've went to any church, more than likely in your life, at one point or another, you were invited to church and somebody said, hey, why don't you come to church with me and just come check it out? Anybody ever had that asked to them or told to them? Like, hey, just come check us out. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You had a decision to make. Do I come see what this church is about or do I not? Do I check this out or do I not? That's what Jesus is saying in the very beginning when he says, follow me. In order to follow him, you have to make a decision. You see it in Luke 9, 23. It takes it a little bit farther because it actually puts prerequisites to it. In Luke 9, starting in verse 23, he says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, i.e., you want, if you want to be a follower, eventually, if you want to be a follower, here's what you have to do. You must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and what? Follow me. See, he doesn't say right out of the gate you must lay down your life, take up your cross, and be a follower. He says lay down your life, pick up your cross, and just follow me for a little while. Because what he knows is that if you begin to follow him and you begin to see what he does and talk like he talks and see who he talks to and how he loves, you'll kind of buy into this. And you'll be like, hey, I kind of like this. I like this Jesus thing a little better than my old life. I like doing this better than what I like doing before. It's a decision I'm making to follow. And that alone is a very tough decision. And I think follow me is a tough decision and a tough saying because it requires faith. 
It requires buying into an unknown. Simon and Andrew are fishing and through faith stopped and said, I'll follow this guy and let's see what he's about. James and John stopped fishing and said, I'll follow him and see what it's about. Follow me is about faith and it is difficult. John 8 verse 12 says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. If you start to follow the things I do, if you look at what I do and, and see how I talk and, and, and see how I love and just see what I'm about in my life, you won't walk in darkness because you're walking with the light that gives you life. What he's saying is make the decision to follow me and then see what happens. Y'all see that? Y'all catch that? I hinted at it a little bit in the beginning. In Luke chapter 18, Alan talked about it, the rich young ruler. When you look at that, you actually see the exact same thing. He says to the rich young ruler, uh, let me tell you exactly what he says. Um, in verse 22, he says, When Jesus heard the answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. That's all he's telling him to do. Just, just come follow me for a little while. You want to inherit eternal life? Come follow me because whenever you decide to follow me, you will actually start to represent me you will actually start to duplicate me you will actually start to see me to learn me and I will begin to mold you which takes me into point number two follow me with a desire follow me with a desire last night I looked up the word desire and I found out that it was like talking about just something you really want something that you gotta have I desire that thing more than anything else and I've gotta have it right my wife is wonderful. I love her to death, but she has a she has an Achilles heel. It is Krispy Kreme donuts. She will, and I'm not joking, just about kill for a hot Krispy Kreme donut. She loves them, loves them, loves them, loves them. Uh, it wasn't too long ago we went to Florence to eat catfish at a place called Newburns. Any of y'all ever been to Newburns? Okay, there's a, a couple. You need to go. It's pretty good. Uh, we enjoy it. Um, get there about four o'clock. If you wait too much later, uh, you'll get stuck with all the old people that eat at five. So, uh, but <laughs> anyhow, Newbridge is a great place. It's really fun. Uh, it's, it's good food. But in Florence, there's also a Krispy Kreme. Y'all know this, right? So we went and we, we, ate, we ate and she was like, all right, we're going to Krispy Kreme. And I said, all right, let's go. So we pull out, we're headed to Krispy Kreme and we get there and the hot now light's not on. And she's a hot now light snob. She will not eat a donut if it doesn't have the hot knowledge. She won't do it. Now, I'm just being honest. She won't. Anybody else like that? We all eat Krispy Kreme at any time. Because she, she's like, if it's not hot, I ain't touching it. It's not worth it. I'm not wasting the calories. It's got to melt when I put it in my mouth. If it don't, I'm not doing it. So I was like, well, I hate that because I know you really like it. And she was getting agitated. Um, and she was like, well, I just really, really want this certain donut. It was October. And October, November time frame in that ballpark. Krispy Kreme came out with a new donut. It was the apple cider cake donut. 
Right? Any of y'all ever try that one? It was fantastic. But I'll get to that point. Apple cider cake. She was like, I got to have it. Well, the hot now light wasn't on. They wasn't making them. Florence was a fail. So we're like, well, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll shoot for next time. And she's like, but they're gone tomorrow. After tomorrow, I can't get them. I'm like, I know, but we'll, we got tomorrow. It's okay. So we're headed home, and uh, she's on her phone. And she goes, <laughs> close enough. Decatur's hot light now is on, or hot now light's on. I said, do you realize we're in Florence? Yeah, but Decatur's light's on. I said, do you really want me to go? You don't have to. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, well, I know they're hot, but you really, want the, you really want the apple cider cake one, so we need to make sure they got it, right? And she was like, great idea. She pulled up, pushed the call button, and hands me the phone. Like, okay. So I call him, and I'm like, so do y'all have uh, the apple cider cake donut? I'm held at ransom, and if you don't have it, it's going to be bad. And they said, yes, we're actually making them hot right now. It's yeah, this is fantastic. So needless to say, an hour and a half later, we end up at Decatur, and we, we get a donut, and it was the best thing ever. She loved them, and it was wonderful. And uh, I spent our date night with no Judah driving from Florence to Decatur. To, so it was fun. But she desired that donut, right? She had to have it. It was something where she was willing to do anything to get it. The same can be said about us and our relationship with God, in which you see yourself start to do the more you spend time and the more you follow. Let's look at some scripture to back this up. Psalm 73, starting in verse 25, says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. What the psalmist is saying is, what, what do I have out here that matters because I don't desire any of this stuff. I don't desire what the world gives me. I may like it, but I don't desire it. I don't like it so much that I'm willing to give up anything for it. I don't desire it so much so that I want to have it. And if I don't have it, there's going to be a problem. But see, we are to desire God with an unquenchable thirst. We are to desire God so much so that we'll drive to Decatur to get it if we have to. We should want it so much so that we will forsake everything else, that our heart be satisfied with God. Foolishly, courageously seeking Him with all that we have. Can I tell you another story? I mean, I don't have to if y'all want to hear it. It's a good one. So somebody say yes. yes. Thank you. There we go. All right. This story is a good one. And then we'll, we'll truck through the rest of this sermon and we'll move on. But... It has to do with the desire. I met Lauren, my wife, when I was 16. We started dating at age 16. We broke up twice through that period. She broke up with me twice. I know. Y'all thought she was perfect. She's not. Okay. <laughs> she, she makes mistakes. It happens. Um, <laughs> but in, in one of those instances, something weird happened. Um, it was the second time that we broke up, and we were, we were kind of just in a rough spot, and my brother-in-law now, who was Lauren's brother, uh, we were, man, we're tight, like good friends. I mean, through, through my college days and everything, we, we just did everything together. We had fun. I'd go to his house and hang out. We'd go do all sorts of stuff. So while me and Lauren were dating, me and Dustin were great friends. Like, it's inseparable. We're like bros, 
right? I'm making him feel awkward. He's on the fourth row right on the end if you want to stare at him. <laughs> uh, so we, we did a lot of stuff together, and it was cool, and it was fun. But I would go to his house, and we would just hang out. Well, while we were broke up the second time, Lauren's parents, Donnie and Keith, their house had a pipe bust, and it flooded. So when it flooded, Keith went into panic mode. It's a funny thing. He grabbed his shop vac and started sucking all the water out of the floor. But something happened on the back end. I guess it wasn't plugged, so the water was coming in and flowing right back out. So he was sucking, and it was just pouring right back in the floor. And then finally he just gave up. Uh, but uh, when, when their house flooded and they had to get some repairs done to it, they had nowhere to go but Dustin's house. Well, that posed a problem because me and Lauren were broke up, but me and Dustin were friends, and Dad gummit. I'm not going to quit being friends with Dustin. So here we are, broke up and at odds with each other. You're living in the house, but you don't have to invite me over there. <laughs> I can just come over because he's my friend, and we're cool like that. So we still hung out, right? Uh, we would still go, and we would still do things, and I'd still be at his house, and we'd watch movies. But the secret to all this was I, I still deeply cared for Lauren. Right, like we broke up, but it was killing me. Like I was heartbroken about it. But we, we still, I, I wanted that relationship. I desired that relationship with her so much so that I was like, we got to figure out a way to make this work. So as a guy, I reached out to my best friend, who was her brother. So this was it was, it was golden. It was good. So we're sitting on the couch one day, and we're like, how are we going to make this work? Because you know, he's got his room. Don and Keith now have their room in his house, and Lauren's got her room in his house, and I'm sitting on the couch, and this is weird, and it's, it's making it weird, but it was fun, right? So we're sitting in there. She's tucked away mad, and I'm in here with Dustin, and we're like, how are we going to make this work? Because he was on my side. He was like, we've got to get y'all back together, right? Uh, so we got to brainstorming and talking about it, and we said, we've got to make her jealous. We've got to make her think you've got another girl, <laughs> because because females, y'all know this. Y'all put your daggers up for a second. Jeez. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> Girls will keep a guy at arm's distance until another girl comes in, and then they get mad and they say, you can't have him. Y'all know this, right? Girls have done it. Y'all are all guilty. Don't look at me like that. I know y'all do it. All right? So we, we, we conjured up this great idea, and he, he came up with it slightly and said, let's change my number in your phone to read a girl's name. It's like, That's genius. Like, yes, let's do it. Uh, I don't know if he remembers the name, but I do. The name we changed it to was Autumn, and that, he came up with it. He was like, let's do Autumn. And I'm like, yes, let's do it. That's great. So we sit there, and we changed the phone, you know, changed his name to Autumn. And he said, here's the plan. You'll be here. You, know, we may, you may go outside or we may do whatever and leave your phone sitting on the coffee table. He said, then when I know she's in here sitting down on the couch, I'll call it. She'll see your phone and go, who's that? And she'll see it's a girl's name, instant jealousy. And she'll come running back, like, great plan, problem solved, we've got it, right? This is going to work. So for three weeks, it never worked. <laughs> I don't know if she never saw it or if it just, but it just didn't work. But whatever, we, uh, we continued through this process. Me and Lauren worked through stuff, and we got back together. And uh, on our first date, I took her to the Huntsville Big Spring Park over at the Duck Pond in Huntsville. And we were sitting on a, on a bench, and uh, we were talking, and we were all happy because we worked things out, and everything's great. And then my brother-in-law, whose heart is bigger than his brain, called me. And when he called me, I, you know, I didn't know who it was. I pulled my phone out, <laughs> and it says, Autumn. <laughs> and I instantly start laughing because 
I know what it is. And I'm like, this is is terrible timing. Like, this is bad. But uh, I'm laughing, and she's like, "Um, who's Autumn? I said, your brother. Oh, yeah, sure. And she's like, yeah, I don't believe that. You should have come up with something better. And I'm like, no, tear me out, I promise. I said, I promise, this is your brother. She's like, it says Autumn. You think I'm stupid? I know it's not your brother. I'm like, no, I'm telling you. (laughs) This is your brother. She's starting to get a little... A little ticked. Y- y'all, can, y'all can see it happening, right? And I can't quit laughing, which is making it all worse. Because most guys, when they get nervous, what do they do? <laughs> Start laughing. So she's thinking, well, he, he's nervous. And he's losing it. And, oh, I'm mad. We just, yeah. So when it's all said and done, I, I finally convinced her. I was like, listen, this is your brother. And I'm calling. He answers. I'm like, please, tell your sister it is you. Let her know. And I'm telling her the story. And she's like, that is the stupidest thing you could have ever done. <laughs> But uh, long story short, we've been married for 10 years, and everything's great, and I credit that with it. Uh, Had it not been for that, we wouldn't have made it. But I was able and willing, and my brother-in-law was also willing to do stupid to try to make it work, right? For, For that desire that I had, I was willing to do anything and everything to get my girlfriend back. I have other stories I did, but she told me I couldn't tell them, so I won't. But I did anything and everything because I desired to have that relationship with with her. I wanted her. I had to have this because she was my friend. She was my best friend. It was more than than anything. I missed her, and I had to have that relationship. So I, I began to want to desire it. The same can be said about our spiritual growth. We have to desire God more than anything else on earth. We have to make the stupid decisions that people say, why did you do that? But you did it because you had to have what you wanted. You had to have God. The world may look at you and say, why did you do that? Why would you even do that? That doesn't make sense. That can't be fun. But you had to have it for God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 22 puts it this way. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. And in verse 22, it's to stay away from every kind of evil. If you want to desire God, it's telling you, you've got you've to segregate yourself to him. You've got to consecrate yourself to the living God. You've made the decision to follow him. And in following him, now you have to desire him. Because as you're walking with him, your heart's got to start changing to where you want what he wants and you think what he thinks and you start to do what he does, right? And in order to do that, the Bible says you have to stay away from every kind of evil. Which sounds like a no-brainer, but yet we fail at it more times than not. Stay away from every kind of evil, meaning stay away from evil in what you watch. Stay away from evil in what you listen to. Stay away from evil in what you say. Stay away from evil in the company you keep. Stay away from evil in what you allow in your home. Stay away from evil in how you protect and raise your children. You see, we look at it and we say, I can stay away from evil because I don't do certain things. But I would take it a step farther and say, we have to be really careful if we desire God not to desire the things of the world as well. Be careful what you allow into your life because he says stay away from evil and sin is evil. The things that are opposite of God are evil. And that's a strong word, but it's what God calls it, evil. We say I don't do it, but what do we allow in our home through an avenue of a TV? 
What do we allow in our home? What do we allow in our life through the avenue of a computer? What do we allow in our home through the avenue of a, of a radio? You see, if we want to stay away from every kind of evil, we have to do the stupid, foolishly courageous things and set aside some stuff to get that desire for God. Because it's easy to say, I don't do what they're doing on TV, but it's okay to watch it because I'm not doing it. It's okay to be like, I'm not doing what I'm seeing on the computer, so it's okay. I'm not saying what I'm hearing on the radio, so it's fine, because I'm not like them. But what you're doing is you're allowing evil into your life. You're allowing evil to infiltrate your brain, your ears, your eyes. And what comes into these gateways goes into your heart. And out of the heart, a man speaketh. And out of a heart, a man liveth. You see, what you allow in will begin to become your desire. What you hang around with will begin to become your desire. It'll be what you want. And I've been there. I know what it's like. There's been times when my spirit has wanted something, but there's been times when that want is overpowered by my flesh's want. Sometimes I've heard it said, and and it's people in my family that have said it, they've said, I want to want to. I want to read my Bible. I do, but I want to want to do it. Do y'all get that? Because you know how it is. You're sitting on the couch, and you know you should read your Bible, and you want to because you have a you have a desire to get closer to God, but you can't make yourself want to want to. You want to, but do you really want to? My father-in-law puts it this way, and he says it all the time. It really just boils down to you want to. If you want to play basketball, what are you going to do? <laughs> play basketball. If you, if you want to uh, go to a restaurant, what are you going to do? You're going to go. If you want to go to Krispy Kreme, what are you going to do? <laughs> You're going to drive to Decatur. You're going to go. It's all in your want to. God says if you want it, you'll do it. What do we do instead of desire God? What do we watch instead of desire God? What do we say instead of speak his truth? What do we listen to instead of his word, instead of worship? What do we really want? Because he says, follow me with a decision, but then follow me. Follow me with a desire. I don't want you to just walk around with me. I want you to want me. And when you get to where you want me, we're making progress. We're really getting somewhere. Which takes me in to a quote, and then we'll jump into point three. Y'all watch this quote. It's really good. It's from John Piper, and it says, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction in God. There's no other way to get rid of the evil in your life, to conquer the world, and to be able to live the way God wants you to unless you get to where you don't want what the world offers, until you get to where you distaste sin so much so because you want God more. I can tell you I've seen my life change. I'm not perfect. I'm not great by any means. But I can tell you there are things that I used to do that I don't do anymore. Why? Because I see them as disgusting. They've actually kind of grossed me out a little bit now. There are certain things I used to say when I was a young teenager that I can't say now and that it drives me up the wall when somebody else says it. It hits me and I'm like, ah, 
I hate that. I wish you would say anything but that. It used to not bother me to watch scary commercials and movies. I didn't care because I'm like, yeah, whatever, that's fake. That's, oh, yeah. Now, man, a commercial comes on with all them distorted people. and the No, <laughs> I got to change it. I can't stand it. it. It gives me a weird feeling on the inside. And I can only accredit that to Christ and him saying, the spirit inside of you is saying, you don't want those things anymore. You see them for what they are. You see them for the evil that they entail. You see them for the anti-godness that they are, and you can't stand it anymore. You're growing a distaste for these things because you're growing a desire for me. Y'all see this, right? Now, we're about to wrap up point three here in just a second. We're going to jump into it and we'll wrap it up. We'll put a little bow on it, and you'll see how follow me is a lot more than just two words. And you'll see how follow me is a lot deeper than two words. Point number three, follow me with dedication. Follow me with dedication. If we've made the choice to follow and we've made a choice to line up with and to see what Jesus is about, and then in doing so we start to to walk with him and we become sanctified over years and years that we're starting to follow this man and read his word and, and pray and talk to him and we're seeing the spirit of God and we're starting to see how it's starting to mold our life from a wide place to a narrow place to where we're, we're lining up with him. We then have to live a followed life determined because I believe the life cycle of a Christian is this. The life cycle of a Christian is you choose to follow, you get saved, you seek him with a desire, meaning you seek him. You become sanctified. Your, your ways change, and you start to line up with him. And then, because you're lining up with him so much, you can't help but do what he does. You're dedicated to the life of Christ. Meaning, I'm so dedicated to it that I will tell you exactly what Jesus says. I will tell you what he needs. I will tell you what he what he wants for you in your life. I will tell you how to be saved. I'll start bleeding that of Jesus. It'll just be an overflow. It'll start coming out. Kind of like I've told some people around me in my inner circle when they're having girl problems because I've been there and I've learned it and I've seen it work, I now tell them how to get a girl back. The same way it should be with God because I've lived it and I've seen it because I chose and because I've sought now, I need to lead, and I need to share, and I need to disciple, and I need to tell people because I don't have any other thing that I can do. Like, I've got to tell you about Jesus. I've got to, I've got to start reflecting you and pointing you to Jesus and say, hey, come follow this man. Just, just come check him out because I'm telling you if, you, if you give him a step, just a little bit, just start walking with him, you'll see that it's so much better than what you're in now. You'll see that Jesus offers you so much more than what you've got now. Be dedicated to the cause of Christ. There is one man in Scripture that I saw in reading through all this that I was like, he hit it. He nailed it. That's the epitome of Christ-likeness. That man is Paul. And it's not all of Paul. There's a moment in Paul's writings where I'm like, he nailed it. He's got it. He reached it. It is in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Your bulletin says verse 3. It's actually 1 verse 3. That's my fault. Uh, I, I sent that to Will incorrectly. I forgot the 1 
in front of that. So it's actually Romans 9, 1 through 3. And this is what it says. Paul says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Y'all watch this. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if it would save them. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from the presence of God, cut off from Jesus Christ and who he is if it would save them. Now, you look at Paul's life. He was a persecutor of the Christian faith. He decided to fight it with all that he had. He persecuted the way. He did anything and everything. He had Christians killed. He had them arrested. He fought it tooth and nail. And then on the road to Damascus, the Lord speaks to him. And he says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul goes through all this, and he's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Jesus, man. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. You need to change your ways. You need to change your life. He, he blinds Paul, and his men lead him away. And then, and then God sends a man, Ananias, to come to Paul. And he tells him, hey, you're going to go to Paul, and I want you to pray for him. He is going to be the one that leads my people. He's going to be the one that shares my gospel. He's going to be the one to write 25% of the New Testament. That man. And then he goes to Paul and he prays for him. And it says, Paul began to see. Things like scales fell from his eyes. He was no longer blind. Now he can see. It said that he believed. He chose to follow. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in those two things, he started having a desire for God. He started having a desire, living zealously for God and for Christ and his purpose and what it was and what it meant. And he was putting chains and he was putting a place to where he was only dependent on God. He had nothing else to live for, nothing else to do but to, but to pin the words of God that he put on his heart and to, and to pray for those and to talk to those and to preach his word. Paul gave it all and he started going and going until he got to a point to where he reached the epitome of Christ-likeness and said, I would rather be cursed for you to live. I would take eternal curse for you to live. And that sounds like one other person in the Bible. And Will, as you come and you do, that sounds like one other person. That sounds like Jesus Christ. He said, what do you mean, Joseph? Well, let me tell you. In the beginning... When God created the world, through Moses, he actually ended up giving us a thing called the law. And the law was a list of requirements that said, if you want to be made right with God, if you want to live righteously, if you want to be perfect, if you want to see holiness, this is what it takes. This is the requirement. These lists of things, this is how you must act. This is how you must speak. This is what you must do. This is the law. And the law itself doesn't have power. The law itself had nothing. But the giver of the law was the one who gave it its righteousness. The giver of the law was the one who said, this is what makes you right. And he said, if you break this law, it's so holy and it's so right and it's so good and it's so godly that if you break it, there's a wrathful punishment. 
You see, the punishment of breaking the law was God's wrath would come upon you. And the punishment of that was death. And in death, there was separation. So God said, you follow this law, and if you don't, there's a curse associated with it. And that curse is eternal separation and death. And he says, guess what? All of you fail it. None of you live up to it. You've all sinned. You've all fallen short. None of you will live up to this glorious standard. Therefore, there is a curse, and it is separation, and it is death. And then enter on stage Jesus Christ. Enter into the movie, the story, the place, the world, the man who said, I can live it. I can do it. I can be it. I'll be perfect. I'll live it out. I'll be righteous. God, because from the beginning, we've been together. We've been one. I've been with you, and I've never left your presence. And then in Jesus' time on earth for 33 years, he never left the presence of God. He lived in a full communion with him, holy, always, forever from the beginning of time until one moment and I believe it started in the garden of Gethsemane whenever Jesus kneels down and he's praying and he goes he goes God God let this cup be lifted from me let this cup of wrath that you're about to pour out be lifted God but not my will but yours God because I can feel it and as he began to pray, he prayed so earnestly. He prayed with such a desire that it says sweat began to fall from his face like drops of blood. He was in such anguish. And I believe that anguish came from one thing. In that moment, I believe God began to separate. He began to, to pull himself apart and to start to put sin on Jesus. Just as Paul said, I would rather be cursed and separated from it forever so that you may be saved. He reached the epitome of Christ's likeness because that is exactly what Jesus Christ did. He's crying and he's saying, God, not my will but yours. Please, is there any other way besides this horrid, holy rage that you're about to pour out on me? Is there any other way than sin? Is there any other way than the curse? Is there any other way than separation from you? Because I can't take that. It hurts. It's killing me. And in that, he began praying. And then he's taken and he's thrown in front of the people. And the accuser of the brethren starts accusing. He starts hurling out sin, saying, you called yourself the son of God. How dare you? And he says, nothing. He does nothing. He says, I am, but I'm not going to tell you that. Because this is the only way. I must become cursed. I must become sin so that you don't have to feel that wrath, so that you have the opportunity of new life. I must become this. And they take him, they start beating him. They beat him to a pulp. And not only is he getting the pain that, that comes with this, he's getting the pain of separation from God. He's getting the pain of his father starting to turn because his father can't look at sin. He's getting the pain of knowing what it's like to be in a living hell, which is separation from the presence of God. So as he's getting beat and he's hurting, and he's picking up his cross the whole time. God's slowly backing away. I'm sorry, Jesus, but there's no other way for the world to be saved than for my wrath and my curse of my perfect law to be put on you. I'm sorry. Do it. I'm sorry, but keep on. 
I know it hurts, but don't give up. And then they lift Jesus up on a cross and he's there and he's hurting and he's in agony. And then I believe God finally does the ultimate. He turns his face to his son. And for the first time, Jesus understands what it's like to have the presence of God gone. And in that moment, he became the curse of sin. And you know this because of what he cries out. It says he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you just turn your back on me? And God says, because, buddy, you've got the sin of every adulterous person. You've got the sin of every murderer, every thief, every drunkard. Every sin of this world has been laid on you. And I can't stand it. I've got to kill it. I've got to get rid of it. And I have to, it's the curse, man. I can't help it. I love you. But you've got to die with it so that they may live. Jesus says, follow me. And Paul got there. Paul said, I'm willing to be a curse separated from God so that you may live. What do these two words mean? These two words mean follow Christ in what he was. He loved you enough that he was willing to separate himself from the presence of God so that you never have to be. He was willing to experience utter hell, which literally is eternity without the presence of God for his moment on earth in that time. He knew what it was like to live in hell so that you don't have to. And he says, follow me have a heart for my people so much so that you'll do what I did. That you'll lay down anything that you care about, anything that's important, anything at all so that somebody doesn't go to hell. I'm not there. I'm telling you right now, I love you to pieces. I'll do a lot for you, but I value my relationship in the presence of God and I can't I can't put, say that I would pull myself out of the presence of God forever so that you would be saved. But God says, Jesus says, follow me there. Because when you get there, we're walking step in step. Your heart is right. Your motives are pure. You're seeing humanity the way I see them. Your love for them is deeper than your love for yourself. Follow me. And there's a lot from a decision to that. And it may take a lifetime. But I pray that I do get to a place that I would be willing to say, I love you more than myself. I love you more. And I'll turn on it. I want to get to a place like Paul where I say, I'd be willing to become a curse, eternally separated from Christ, that you may be saved. That is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. That's exactly what he did for his people, for this whole world. 
And on the third day, he was raised to new life. And now guess what? He lives in the presence of God. Just like you can if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just because he experienced hell in that moment doesn't mean you're free from hell when you die. He gave you the opportunity. He said, here's the gift. The ransom's been paid. God's wrath's been poured out. The gift is here for you to take eternal life. But if you don't choose it, you get down to hell. The second death. Zero presence of God. And it's a terrible place. Ask Jesus. So if you're out there and you can say, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, we can take care of that today. I want to make sure that I explain the gospel to you in a very clear and present way. So if you're out there and that's something you want to do here in a minute, when we'll start singing. We'll have counselors up here. I'll be up here. Come talk to us. We'll make sure that we can lead you and show you what Jesus Christ did for you and you personally. But also if you're out there and you can say, I'm just struggling with something. I've got evil in my life. I've got sin and I hadn't been following Jesus the way I should. Man, he offers forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will bring you back to a right standing with him. All you have to do is say, I need to turn from my evil, God. I failed you. So as y'all stand and will sings, this time is yours. If you need to respond in any way, if you need to, if you need Jesus, come get him. If you need prayer, come get it. Whatever it is that you need, do business with God.